From Chicago, it's the Old St. Pat's podcast series, Currents, Awakening to the Flow of Spirit in Our Lives. Today, we welcome Kara Etta. Kara is the Director of Ministries at Old St. Pat's, and in this episode, reflects on justice and the work that is ours to do. You are a bit much. These are words that could have easily been said to me or about me as I grew up on the soccer field, on the volleyball court, in the classroom, or even in my own home. I was a girl who quite naturally felt comfortable asking my questions in class, whether or not I thought anyone else might share them or be annoyed by them. I was a bit obnoxious on the field or court when I, typical coach's kid, tried to help my teammates see their options if and when they got the ball. I would let classmates know when they were being cruel to me or others, because I guess I thought they just didn't realize it. But no one, not my parents, not my big sister who I idolized, not my teachers or even my coaches ever told me that. As I look back, I realize the privilege it was to grow up in a way and in a setting where no one tried to get me to occupy less space or minimize my voice. It was a privilege to have elders and sisters in my life who would speak the hard truth to me at times, but always in a way that was intended for me to grow, not shrink. So by the time I was in high school and someone first told me that I was a bit much and that boys really don't like that, I sort of responded without even thinking, that's not my problem. I went confidently about my business, feeling comfortable in my own skin for the most part, knowing I had my sisters, my family, my faith, and my sports. As I look back now, I realize just how much of a privilege all of that was. For my entire childhood and adolescence and even college years, I guess I just presumed that everyone was given the opportunity to grow into their own voice and take up the space that their soul needed. I was even so naive as to be a bit confused when I took my first feminist theology class in graduate school, as I really figured that the work of feminist theology was primarily historical by that time, rather than contemporary. Needless to say, I got schooled by both the professor and some of my classmates who had been fighting for women's voices to be heard in theological and church leadership spaces for decades. A month or two later, a classmate pushed me to attend a conference on white privilege on campus. As I sat there in that first lecture, I felt that awful feeling of wanting to shrink into my chair. It really stung to have to face my participation in a system and even a church that is still perpetuating inequity, even if subtly or legally. The truth is that I only stuck it out through that conference and tried to keep taking in what I was hearing because I trusted the friend who had pushed me to go in the first place. I believed she didn't do it for my discomfort, but for my good, for an improvement in my vision. It took me a while and some serious learning from researchers like Brene Brown, activists like Austin Channing Brown, and faith leaders like Kayla Jackson and Vince Guider 
to help me realize that what I now feel about this privilege that has been an undercurrent in my life need not be shame because shame doesn't help. It closes in on itself. It silences. It shuts one down. It puts on extra armor for the wrong battle. Shame is not the tool of God, but rather the evidence of our need for God's grace and God's help. In these days, as I struggle to figure out what is my next right thing to do, I can't help but feel that my work is a very Catholic both and. I need to continue to listen and learn from the work and stories of Black, Indigenous, and people of color. I have so much to learn, to pray with, and be transformed by. And I am also coming to understand that there are people and spaces that might actually need my voice and my presence on the journey. To be anti-racist, or as Austin Channing Brown says, basically to be a better human for other humans, means there is serious reckoning, i.e. truth-telling, that needs to happen. And the goal of telling the truth is not shame. I love the analogy of old houses. I grew up in an old house, and I am now back in that same old house with my husband raising our three kids. Our country and our church and our systems are like an old house. Much charm, a good deal to love, but as long as we refuse to go into the basement or investigate that bubbling in the ceiling, we are asking for trouble. Choosing not to go there or just focus on the future without facing the hard truths behind the walls or in the basement will lead to even more disaster and it will perpetuate the generational trauma experienced by people of color in this land for over 400 years. The goal of reckoning with the truth of racism, past and present, individual and systemic, is not white shame or American shame. The goal is freedom from this original sin of our country and continent, a freedom that actually makes the experience of full human dignity a universal one a freedom that might allow the children of our friends of color to grow up knowing nothing other than feeling protected, treasured, encouraged, and inspired by their neighborhoods, their education systems, their church, their civil servants, and their leaders of government. And all of that is going to take the work of those of us who have more or less been enjoying these privileges already. It is our work to do. It will involve some serious discomfort some stretching, lots of discernment, loads of prayer, and the courage and vulnerability to imperfectly keep moving toward justice. And I'm no prophet, but I predict that if we do and when we do, the brown-skinned, truth-telling, movement-starting, state-executed Christ will dance victoriously with humanity. That humanity who will be enjoying the true and universal freedom God always intended. Thank you to Kara Etta for being on today's episode, and thank you for listening. I'm Kate Anderson. You've been listening to the Old St. Pat's Podcast.